0: Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 1 to verse 5. Do not judge, lest you be judged. For in the way in which you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. And why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not take notice of the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, And behold, the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. In our study through the book of Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount, we come to a portion of Scripture uh, where Jesus says that which is so true, but it is oftentimes misunderstood, misapplied in terms of the aspects of what does it mean to judge or not to judge. Sometimes uh, we have the tendency to think that any criticism that is viewed, that is given to others is viewed as a violation of this passage. That any reprimand of sinful actions that we may see in others... We get the the comeback, the quick uh, statement or reply from others don't judge. Jesus says, Don't judge. In the context of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been correcting Pharisaical misunderstanding and misuses of the law of God. What what does Jesus mean then here? Judge not. Are all matters of judgment condemned here? Are we not allowed to form any opinion of our neighbor? Essentially, it comes down to the fact, as we're going to see as we go through various portions of Scripture today, that it comes down to that there is a godly judging and there is an ungodly judging. And the latter one, the ungodly judging, is the one that Jesus is condemning here. How do you tell the difference between a godly judging and an ungodly judging? I'm not going to do an exhaustive word study for us on judging. You can do that someday. Just take you a Strong's Concordance and look up judge or judgment or judging, and you can do that study for yourself. But we are going to take a look at various passages so that we understand. What is the context by which Jesus is saying, "Judge not, that you be not judged"? Now, those. Let's take a look at what it means then. To be engaged in a godly form of judgment. Those in authority in the scriptures are given, the authority of God, to to sit in judgment. In terms of the actions of others with reference to the law of God, be it in the civil realm where it talks about the elders of the gates that rendered judicial decisions in the nation of Israel. And there are those who are in authority in church courts, the elders of the church, who do judge render decisions with reference to church members and their behavior. So, not only do we see that there is a proper use of rendering judgment in the civil realm, but we will get to later on in Matthew 18, we see that the church elders have a responsibility to sit in judgment over the action of church members if they go astray and are bringing open shame to the law of God, open shame to the cause of Christ. And so, Matthew 18 is a clear indication that we engage in judgment there, and that can be a godly judgment. Moreover, we see that there are also other times in which we are to judge, even among uh, one another, from church member to church member. But it's here that we've got to be very careful that we don't judge sinfully. So, in an attempt to understand Jesus' statements, Here in verses 1 through 5, let's take a look at those places where the Bible says we can judge biblically. Now, we've already seen in chapter 6 of Matthew 6 that Jesus condemned the Pharisees, calling them hypocrites. How so? Well, in how they gave alms, how they prayed, how they fasted. Jesus made a judgment upon them and called them hypocrites and said that because of the way they do that, he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you won't even enter the kingdom of God. So when Jesus saw the Pharisees and their actions, what was he condemning them? Because they did it out of show, pretense. They were self-righteous. They were trying to bring glory to themselves and not God. That was their motive to glorify themselves, to show other people how holy they were. And Jesus made a judgment with reference to them in light of that. So that is proper. We see that later on, we'll mention some in Matthew 15, that Jesus judges the Pharisees who, uh, in light of the fact they were judging his disciples uh, unduly, and how the fact that they weren't washing their hands according to the tradition of elders, but I'll refer to that later on. We see in in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus gives a scathing uh, judgment against the Pharisees and the scribes, called them hypocrites, called them those who are preparing others for hell as they are and where they are going. He, in that passage in Matthew 23 that we'll look at, uh, down the road in our exposition of Matthew 23, he says to them that they who thought they were keeping the law, they don't understand the law. They missed out on the essence of the law. The essence of the law being mercy and compassion. Yeah, they were doing outward things. They tithed, they fasted, uh, they prayed, but they had the wrong motives. And they were condemning others. Some may argue that Jesus uh, can judge people, but not us, because after all, Jesus is God. Jesus knows the hearts of men. So yes, Jesus can judge people, but we ought not, because we can't see into the hearts of people. Now, but Jesus, as we're going to see said there are times in which we are to judge, we'll look at a passage in John later on, but we are to judge righteously and not unrighteously. So there is various aspects where you and I are called upon to render a judgment with reference to others, and it's not violating the passage here that Jesus is referring to. So we're going to take a look at a lot of passages here in a moment. And the general topic is this, how we are to judge false doctrine among those who are teaching false doctrine. So one of the first passages that I want us to take a look at is Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Starting um, at verse 6, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even though we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to To that which you have received, let him be accursed. Now, that accursed is anathema. Let him be anathema. And that is about as worse as it can get. And what to be anathematized means to be outside the kingdom of God. That's what it means. So what the Apostle Paul is saying, those who come. And distort the gospel and its message. He says they are accursed. As he's going to say later on, stay away from them. Now, now if you were to go through, now we may ask, who does he have in mind here? In verses sixty-nine, the whole epistle to the Galatians is an argument against the Judaizers. In that period of time. And the Judaizers were those who were saying you had to keep the law of Moses in order to be saved. Yes, believing in Jesus is fine, but you had to keep the law of Moses. You had to be uh, circumcised. You had to follow all the ritual of the Old Testament. And there arose such a controversy there, for example, in the church of Antioch in Syria, that the Apostle Paul and Barnabas took exception with the Judaizers. They couldn't settle it in uh, the church in Antioch, so they brought it to the Apostles and the Prophets in Jerusalem there in Acts 15. And so the Judaizers were distorting the gospel. And so what Paul is saying here is, we are to make judgments with reference to people who distort the gospel. So you have to know what the gospel is. And if you have anybody who's distorting it, mark them out and make, refer- uh, make a judgment with reference to them. Stay away from them. Uh, minimize, do what you can to minimize the impact of those who are corrupting the gospel. Paul, in speaking about the same people, turn over to Philippians chapter 3. Look at verses 1-3. through Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me and is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. What were the dogs that he was referring to? The false circumcision. The Judaizers. That's who he has reference to. Uh, Because they said, now remember, they were saying you had to follow the Old Testament law of circumcision. And therefore to the Gentiles, we've got to make the Gentiles subject to the Old Testament regulations. And the Apostle Paul says... They are evil workers. He's made reference to it. Why are the evil workers? Because they corrupted the gospel. Now we may not do it the way that some in the past have done so, and all you have to do is read Martin Luther sometime, John Calvin. You got to go, because <laughs> they use this kind of language with reference to the Romanists. There are times that George Whitfield and uh, his preaching and criticism. He says sometimes he, he backed off. He says I got to be careful not to be apostolic in judgment upon certain people, especially the clergy with whom he thought uh, were not saved. And he says I got to restrain myself uh, whether I ought to use the language of the apostles. Uh, Luther didn't have a problem with it. Calvin didn't have a problem with it. We might have a problem today. With it, but the point here is, we are rendering a judgment with reference to others who are corrupting the truth of the Word of God. The gospel message is a serious thing, and we are to make judgment with reference to that. Turn over to Titus chapter three. Look at verses one through three. Remind them to be subject to rulers. And to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be uncontentious, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also were once foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. And so where there are those who were foolish? Foolish, disobedient, deceived. Turn over to 1 John chapter 4. Look at verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. If you look at verse 2 and following, it says... By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, of which you've heard that is coming, and now it is already in the world. Now, to test the spirits means to render a judgment, right? Right? And what is the judgment that we are determining? What a person believes about Jesus Christ. Is Jesus Christ the Son of God? Is he God in the flesh? That, and he says, everybody who does not confess that Jesus has come in the flesh is the Antichrist. Now, Antichrist is not a man in the Scriptures. Antichrist is a view of life. It's only used four times in the Word of God. It's used in the epistles of John. So Antichrist is not some future person. Antichrist is anybody who distorts the gospel message, especially with reference to who Jesus is. So the cults, whether it be Mormonism or Jehovah's Witness or whatever, anybody who doesn't believe in the divinity of Jesus and that he was a real man in the flesh, it says... Beware, test them, make it judgment. Turn with me to Second uh, John. So in light of that admonition, look at what Second John 9 and 10 says. Second John 9 and 10. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting. So there, obviously, we make a judgment with reference to what people are saying, what they believe about Jesus. Now, there is some confusion here because some have asked whether if the Mormons come knocking on your door or the Jehovah's Witnesses, is that passage defensive? De facto, a statement that says, you don't invite them in and talk to them. Well, the best I can say about that is, if you're not prepared to talk to them, don't let them in. However, if your purpose is to try to witness to them of the truth, and you feel somewhat capable of doing that, then it's not a violation of this. Now, let me tell you what the violation of the passage is. In that period of time, these itinerant preachers would go from place to place and they would need to have a place to stay. They would need to have lodging. Oftentimes, people would put uh, itinerant preachers up and they would give them food. And then they may stay in an area for a week living there and they would be fed. What we are not to do is help the heretics further their cause. That's what it means by inviting them in. There were times in the past I've had Jehovah's Witnesses. Now, mind you, Jehovah's Witnesses do not believe in the deity of Christ. They are true examples uh, of those that John is talking about who don't confess that Jesus Christ has come. In the flesh. So over the years, one time I asked them in. uh, They were at the door and they were talking. And I was talking with them at the door. And uh, we were discussing things. And I made reference to them. Things about uh, who Jesus is. And they said, well, the Greek says this. And I said, oh, do you know Greek? Well, come on in. And I go get my Greek Bible. And I went and got my Greek Bible. And we looked at John one one in the Greek Bible. Because they want to make a big deal saying, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was a God. Their translation says a God. And I said, well, let's talk about the Greek article here for a moment. A here. And so my purpose was for to seek to reach them with the gospel of Christ. <clears throat> but if you're not prepared do that, don't invite them in. But the point here is, the scripture tells us, we are to render a judgment. We need to know what people think and whether to give aid to them in their cause. It is important that we make that judgment. Look over at Third John 9 and 10. I wrote something to the church but Diotrephes who loves to be first among them does not accept what we say. For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does, unjustly accusing us with wicked words and not satisfied with this, neither does he himself receive the brethren. And he forbids those who desire to do so and puts them out of the church. We see here that the Apostle John says there's this guy, Diotrephes who's really being a problem in the church. And John says, I'll come and I'll deal with them. And this guy is casting people out of the church. And uh, it says he is not accepting what we say. And so he was a false teacher. And then he was essentially uh, harming the church, persecuting the church in some regard, casting people out of the church. Well, what we have seen thus far is... With reference to false teachers, we are to render a judgment based upon the truth of the gospel. So you and I have to know the gospel message. We have to be able to discern uh, when the gospel has been distorted. It's particularly important that we do that, especially the elders of the, of the church, have that responsibility uh, to render that kind of judgment in order to silence the gainsayers, those who are troubling households, it says in Scripture. So, the reason I looked at all those passages, so when Jesus says, judge not, that you be not judged, he's not referring to those instances where we are to judge false doctrine. That's not what Jesus is talking about. And the only reason I bring all these passages up is that some people, they actually think we're not to judge anybody at any time. And that's not true. Because if we were to adopt that mentality, the church would be decimated with false teaching. So not only are there instances where we can judge to protect the purity of of gospel doctrine, but we are to judge sinful behavior in the church. For example, turn to First Corinthians chapter five. Look at verses twelve and thirteen. Now, let me before I read the passage. Let me give you the whole context. The context here was the man uh, who was guilty of immorality, was committing adultery with his. Uh, <coughs> Incest, we see here, in the church. This is the context, and the church was doing nothing about it. And Paul says, I, look at verse 3, for example. He says, For on my part, though absent in the body, but present in the spirit, have already judged him who has so committed this as though I were present. So Paul said, I've already judged this person because this is a great wickedness that you are doing nothing about. And what was the judgment that the apostle rendered? He says, I'm going to deliver such one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. In order that hopefully that his soul will be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus, that perhaps God would bring him to repentance. But then in verse 12 and 13, he says, for what have I to do with judging the outsiders do you not judge those that are within the church, but those who are outside God judges? Remove the wicked men from among yourselves. He says you should have judged this person in the sense and have recognized that his action was wicked. And therefore, for the sake of the body of Christ, to keep it from the uh, of being infected with this ungodliness, you need to cast him out. And not have anything to do with him. And call him to repentance. By the way, you do know that in Second Corinthians, this man did repent of his sins. And so he did have that discipline which the Apostle Paul enacted did have its effect in a positive way in this man's life. Look at First Corinthians, uh, since you're right there, look at First Corinthians 6.2. We talked about this in a Sunday school lesson. Uh, go to verse 1. Does any one of you, when he has a case against a neighbor, dare to go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is judged by you, are you not competent to constitute the smallest law courts? So he says there are instances where uh, you have the ability as a to constitute a small law court within the church. But then, notice here, it says, the saints will judge the world. That's not something to call them. We are judging the world with reference to how it's treating Jesus. We judge the world with reference to the gospel message. When those don't receive the gospel message, we are judging the world. We're saying to the other religions of the world, you are lost. Unless you believe in Jesus and run to Jesus, you can't be saved. Well, in doing that, we are judging the world. Look at Galatians 6, verse 1. Brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness... Each one looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. And so here it says, if you're going to restore someone who is caught in a trespass, you are making a judgment with reference to that person. That is a judgment. And the judgment is they have sinned and they need to be restored. Well, we'll talk about it a little bit later how you do that is very important. How those who are spiritual are to restore those who are going astray, but it is a judgment that is made that we do make with reference to others. So we've looked at those instances where there were proper judgments. So what is then Jesus particularly driving at in our passage in Matthew seven? What Jesus is discussing is hypocritical judgment and harsh judgment when people condemn others who do not fall in line with their standards, and the standard is not necessarily a principle of the word of God. We must be careful also in not rendering a final judgment With reference to people. Because God is the one who is only qualified to render a final judgment with reference to people. One of the best examples of this, and we have made reference to this passage many times, turn over to Luke 18. This is one of the best examples of what Jesus is condemning in Matthew 7. Look at Luke 18 and verses 9 through 14. And he's also told this parable to certain ones who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, a Pharisee and the other a tax gatherer. The Pharisee stood and was praying thus to himself, God I thank thee I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax gatherer, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, but he who humbles himself shall be exalted. Now, Jesus has condemned the Pharisee here. The Pharisee was self-righteous. Now, the point was, does the Bible command tithes? Well, yes. Yes. Is the Bible against swindlers and adulterers and all sorts? Oh, of course it is. But this man, this Pharisee, was so self-righteous in his attitude, and he was looking over at this, this tax collector whose profession at times was suspect, as we've discussed before, and he says, I'm glad I'm not like him. I'm righteous. He's not. And that man, he had knew nothing what was going on in the life of that that tax collector who who was over there burdened by his sin, the scripture says, crying out for mercy. So who does Jesus uh, say went away justified? It wasn't the Pharisee. It was the tax collector who was begging for mercy. And so what we need to see here, we need to learn a great principle what Jesus is referring to in our passage in Matthew 7. Here's what simple judging entails pride and not humility. And that's exactly what Jesus was saying here. Everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, but he who humbles himself shall be exalted. What happens is, is that sinful judgment, which is what the Pharisee was engaged in, assumes a position of being a master over another person. That is, and being a master over some other person is is reserved for God alone. God's the only one who's the real master over someone, not us. And since we've looked at the uh, proper judgment of heretics and that blatant sinners, like in 1 Corinthians 5... Uh, whereby we can judge, this is not what Jesus is referring to in our passage in Matthew 7. Look what Jesus says in Matthew 7 two. So when he says, do not judge that you be not judged, for the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. So this is what Jesus is saying. If you want to, want to be engaged in passing judgment on other people, here's what's going to happen. God is going to judge you with the same standard you are using to judge other people. And you may not like what will come back. So, the standard by which we are to use and judge others Whatever means that we accuse other people that we're thinking less of them that is the measure the standard that God's going to use against us. So it is a very dangerous thing to engage in in judging other people. You got to be very careful. Well, we've already talked about it is proper to judge others with reference to the gospel, but you better be sure we well, better be sure that their doctrine is false. Otherwise, we're engaged in a sinful judgment. It's always a very dangerous thing to be engaged in judgment. You better know the facts, you better know the situation. And so, it is a dangerous thing in harshness if we mete out judgment with a harsh attitude then it will come back with us in a very similar way. One of the best examples of what Jesus has in mind here, not only is the passage in Luke 18, but turn over to Romans 14, for example. Look at verse 1 through 5. Now, accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One man has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. Let not him who eats regard with content him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls. And stand he will, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Let each man be fully convicted in his own mind. Now, several things here in mind is there are some things that are that we have a liberty to do. To eat certain foods. Uh, we have certain freedoms to drink certain drinks. Some people have scruples. Uh, they don't want to eat certain foods. or They don't want to drink certain beverages. Others don't have a problem with it. As long as as they don't uh, abuse that. So what Paul has said is, we need to quit. There, are, There's that tendency for people, those who have a conscience that won't allow them to do something, they're passing judgment upon others. They're condemning them. They're thinking they're less holy than they are. And, and therefore, he says, quit doing that because... The standard by which you're doing, you don't have a godly standard. God has allowed certain things to be eaten. He's allowed certain drinks to be, to uh, to be drunk, and therefore He says we've got to be careful about passing judgment on areas of liberty that others have. And the days that He's talking about here is not the Sabbath days. Uh, in that period of time, it was all these religious festivals. During this period of time, there was a. Uh, There were others that that observed the Jewish feasts. Even when Paul was writing Colossians, he talks about those days, those feasts. He says, don't let anybody uh, judge you with reference to that. Some feel they don't want to do it. Paul engaged in some of them for a time. But don't judge others who are not doing it. Look at verse 10, Romans 14. But You... Why do you judge your brother, or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God. The clear import of these passages is that we are not to judge other people according to our own personal preferences. And and, and therefore... If the issue is not clear-cut, a principle of the Word of God, I am not to stand in judgment over another person. Because what does the Scripture say here? Look, we all shall stand before the judgment seat of God. God is the one who sees people's hearts. God is the one who knows people's motives. And therefore, He says... These people, in their actions, will answer before God themselves. But I, see, I don't have that prerogative. I'm not God. I'm not a judge in that sense. And therefore, if someone doesn't do certain things the way I do it, I'm not to condemn them for it. And therefore, everybody's going to have to give account. So you let them give an account before God for their actions. So when we use our preferences as the standard by which we define godliness or holiness, then what we've done is that we have engaged in a spirit of judgment in the sense that Jesus condemns. Well, let's take it a step further, okay? What about a brother who's doing something that could be improved on? It may not be... Some blatant sin, but it could just be some area that they could be improved on in their life. Okay? How should we uh, deal with uh, things like this? Well, again, I want to mention, uh, if there's anybody who needs to be corrected, it says in Galatians 6, we looked at the passage already, it says how we're to do it? With gentleness. What's the opposite of Gentleness. Harshness. We are not to be harsh in our dealings with others, even if we see that there are areas that need improvement in their lives. We need to be gentle with reference to them. Why? Because, remember what Galatians 6 says, it says, lest we too be tempted. And so when we deal hard with other people with some areas that we think need to be improved in their lives... We've got to be careful if we're harsh with them, saying, how could you do something so stupid? You ought to know, better. You told me last week you wouldn't fall into that sin, but you did. And we just pound them, and we pound them, and we pound them. That's not gentleness. And what Scripture says, you know what? It may come a time, it may not be that particular sin, but we may find ourselves... In a situation that we commit a sin, are we going to want someone to come and pound us? Well, no. Take a look at Luke 6, verses 36 and 37. Be merciful. Jesus is speaking here. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. And do not judge, and you will not be judged. And do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon. And you will be pardoned. This is clear. In those areas where we are not commanded to judge, that we, uh, what Jesus is saying in dealing with others, if we don't show mercy, if we don't show compassion, then what did Jesus say? Then neither will God show us mercy. He won't show us compassion. Now, what is Jesus driving at? The same standard that I use to judge others is going to be the standard by which God judges me. So if I condemn this other person uh, for some aspect of their life and I'm harsh in my dealing with them and I'm not showing the mercy or compassion in that, then what's going to happen is then I'm not going to be received mercy or compassion. This is what Jesus is saying in Matthew 7-2. The standard I judge will be the, the very standard that God deals with me. And if we are hyper in our judgments of others, that is going to be the standard that God will use us. He says, okay, if that's the way you want it, then this is how I'm going to deal with you. You don't show mercy, I'm going to show mercy to you. Is this not what, I mean, <clears throat> we saw... In the sense, uh, with reference to the, the story of the uh, unforgiving servant. He was forgiven all of that debt. He did not show mercy to someone who owed him a lesser amount. And so when he comes back to the, the master, he says, then, throw him back in jail. He says, if you don't forgive others, then, then neither will God forgive you. Take a look at Matthew 15 for a moment. Turn to Matthew 15. Look at verses 1 and following. Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Horror. Horror. Sinners didn't wash their hands according to the tradition. So they were judging Jesus' disciples, right? It was a stating judgment. So, what does Jesus say to them? He answered and said, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and he who speaks of evil of father and mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whatever shall, shall say to his father or mother, anything of mine you might have been helped by has been given to God. He is not to honor his father or his mother, and thus you invalidate the word of God for the sake of your tradition, you hypocrites. Isaiah prophesied about you. Here they were hypercritical of Jesus' disciples because they didn't ceremonially wash their hands according to the tradition of the rabbis. And and then all along, they're condemning Jesus' disciples. Jesus is going to say, Let me ask you something. I know what you're doing to your parents. Your parents need help. And 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 the money that could be used to help your needy parents, you say, oh, I'm going to com- I've am going got it committed to God. So, sorry, mom and dad, that you're going to go without food for a while. Jesus says, you're a hypocrite. You sit here and you condemn my disciples for this human tradition, and you are living a life of outright rebellion against the fifth commandment? He says, Isaiah tied about you, teaching his doctrines the doctrines of men as the doctrines of God. Have you ever noticed that the tendency of those who uh, are often dish out severe criticism, that they are the very ones who are very defensive when it comes back to them? Have you ever noticed that? And there are certain people that just like to point out faults in others. But then when someone points out their fault, how dare you? Well, I mean, you were, you were just beating on the other person for whatever reason. And then when there's a sin that they point out in you, you just can't believe it. I've noticed it down through the years. Um, here's what Jesus is saying. He who is merciful... Will be shown mercy. He who is unmerciful, that's the standard of unmercy, that's how God is going to deal with you. So, in verses in our text, in Matthew 7, verses 3 through 5, and why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your own eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Let me say the first thing here is, it doesn't forbid, does it, taking the speck out of your brother's eye. He doesn't say you can't do that. What is Jesus saying? If you're going to take a speck out of your brother's eye, just be sure you don't have the log. A greater sin in your own eye before you engage in doing that. That's what he's saying. Now that can be uh, someone who is guilty of. Uh, it can be taken two ways. It can be the person who is guilty of the exact same sin, and you go say, "Wait a minute." It would be like somebody who's uh, sexually immoral condemning some other man who is guilty of that. And so what place is he to condemn someone else when he's guilty of that? You know what the best example of something like that is in the scripture? David. 2 Samuel 12 is the best example of. I can think of that. Remember we're told there that, that David sinned greatly against uh, Bathsheba and uh, Uriah, her husband. And not only did he commit adultery with Bathsheba, he had Uriah killed by putting him up in the front of the line and having Israel pull back. So it would be a given that he would die. So, and this went on for some time. And then we see that God sent Nathan the prophet, and he tells a story about a rich man who had all of this flock and all of these herds. And then there was a poor man who had one little ewe lamb. But he loved that ewe lamb; it was special to him. And then there was a traveler who came along, who wanted a uh, uh, wanted something out of a flock. Instead of the, instead of the rich man taking one of his uh, lambs out of all of his abundance, what does the rich man do? He goes over and takes the the one little ewe lamb that the man, the poor man, loves, and he grabs that and gives it to the traveler. David, what do you think? David goes, "Got to kill that guy. And Nathan says, well, you're the man. You're the man, David. And then we know that it all came crumbling down. David realized he was being told the story about himself. He was the rich man who took the wife of Uriah as his own and killed Uriah. And so you you have here David, who initially was so incensed with the sin of the other, when all along he was guilty of that very sin and had not yet confessed it. So this judging that Jesus is condemning here in Matthew seven is this self-righteous attitude that I am better than other people. And when men don't conform to my standards, then they're wrong and there's something wrong with them. Now, Jesus is saying, if I'm unmerciful in my dealing with others, if I want not to have anything to deal with them, then, then that's the same judgment that's going to come back upon me. And Jesus says that's hypocrisy. We must not miss the main point of what Jesus is saying. Judge not. It isn't simply that if you don't want people to say unkind things about you, that you don't say unkind things. But unbiblical judging exposes us to the judgment of God. That's what Jesus says you've got to be careful about. If I'm going to be so critical of others... It's going to come back to me, Jesus says. Take a look at Romans chapter 2. Look at verses 1 through 2. Therefore you are without excuse, every man of you who passes judgment. For in that you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. There is the type of hypocritical judgment where people like David was so upset about what that story conveyed when he was the guilty adulterer and murderer himself. So when Jesus instructs us to remove the beam out of our own eye in order to remove the speck out of the the eye of another, Jesus is saying it is permissible to remove that speck from another, but we had better be sure we don't have the same sin or even a worse sin than the other. See, the Pharisees were glaring examples of hypocrisy. And the story is, again, that we've already alluded to. The self-righteous Pharisee of Luke 18. I'm glad I'm not like that tax collector. So, believing he was right, and yet he was casting his on this man who in his heart was begging for God to give him mercy. We don't know oftentimes what's going on in the lives of others. So, the essence of the law, Jesus said, is mercy, compassion, Remember Jesus when he was healing men on the Sabbath? The Pharisees got so upset with him for healing on the Sabbath. Jesus, you're healing men on the Sabbath? How dare you? You're a Sabbath breaker. I'm not a Sabbath breaker. You are the one because you have no mercy. You don't even understand the law. I showed this man mercy. And you are upset with me that I showed him mercy and happened to be on the Sabbath? Of all days, that ought to be a day in which we show mercy. Yet you condemn me? In removing the beam from our own eyes, what we're doing, we're manifesting humility. We're showing compassion. If we're going to really help other people in their sins, we really need to understand ourselves and where we are. see the first thing and and this is why Galatians 6 is so important when there is a, a sin in the life of another that needs to be dealt with it says do it gently because we we got to recognize we're all sinners and I could fall into the same sin if I on another day it could be me where the tables are turned and so we need to be gentle In the way we deal with other sin. We've got to understand we're all sinners. We all have our issues. We need to be humble. We can't exalt ourselves above others as such. Especially when those areas are questionable or permissible actions that we can do. So no one should. That's why Paul says no one should be stand over us. With reference to food or drink, or it could be—it doesn't have to be food or drink. It could be other issues that there's a certain liberty to that no one should stand in judgment over me if I don't follow the same precise thing that they do. So, yes, we can—we are to engage in a judgment of heretics. For the sake of the gospel, to protect the church. Uh, we are to pass judgment of great immoral sins that others do for to help protect the purity of the church. But we've got to be careful that we don't engage in hypercritical judgment. Especially if we're guilty of similar sins. That's what Jesus is condemning here. That's what he says, judge not lest you be judged. Let us pray.